Hey everyone, once again, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Studio. If you haven't checked out Studio yet, what are you waiting for? They have headphones to satisfy every need. Working out, they have Bluetooth earbuds. Making your way downtown, wireless over ear headphones and ear pods. Like the simplicity of regular earbuds, they have those too. All with a sleek design and studio quality sound. Check them out at studio.com and enter promo code HAUNTED at checkout for 15% off your entire purchase. And as always, they'll ship anywhere in the world for free. Welcome spooks and spirits, ghouls and ghosts. Take a seat around the campfire. But beware, this podcast is haunted. So Jen, dun, 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 dun. what do we? I'm sorry. Do we have do we have new starting music now? <laughs> no, I don't know. Just going from our creepy intro music to it's a completely different show now, guys. No more paranormal. Only gonna do I don't know action stories or something. Yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger in whatever the fuck in whatever the fuck Arnold Schwarzenegger does with himself um so Jeff uh do you well wait 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 wait, okay we're in such a good role welcome to this podcast is haunted (laughs) show where we we just say bullshit about creepy things I'm Jen (laughs) and that's Kate welcome to this very special Saturday morning recording episode Session. Oh my god, it's like you're on oh. drugs. <laughs> I just had a big old mug of coffee and I am ready to go. Oh my goodness. I have not had any stimulants and I've been up since six, so. Oh Jesus. I know, I wake up early. You yeah. know what I've done so far today? I hmm. woke up, made breakfast for myself and my husband, whipped up some banana bread, ordered all of our groceries that were going to come Christ. for the week, canceled on going to a party tonight because it's raining ice outside, and then mm-hmm. uh, cleaned my kitchen. Wonderful. Look at you being productive. I know. I'm very... I, I'm an yeah, early riser, man. I woke... I, like, made my... Well, I woke up at 7.30 because I have a lot of shit to do today. And my mind was awake and thinking all about that. But my body was very, very sleepy still. So I didn't get out of bed until 9. <laughs> here I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's um. So you were up late last night going to prom, mm-hmm. which I did not yes. know was a thing. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's not really, I don't think. I think it's just like our program, just like, listen, grad school is hard and sometimes you just have to let loose. And so we planned our own little prom. It's a, it's a tradition here. We didn't just randomly decide to do it. And yeah, so we got together. It was Midsummer Night's Dream theme. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So my friends and I, we got very excited leading up to this. We planned everything out. We all got flower crowns. We got a ton of glitter. And so now my house is covered in glitter. There are worse problems so, to have. Yeah. It was very fun, though. And I did not go crazy. But I did kind of tear it up on the dance floor, which is That doesn't fun, surprise me. Exhausting. You're a hard dancer. I, like, <laughs> yeah. at a party, I'm a hard drinker. You're a hard dancer. <laughs> And the thing is, I don't need alcohol to do it. Uh, this is, I have kind of a reputation now in my program, but uh, we- What does that mean? Couple... I mean, I'm just like the, 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 I just dance. Oh, okay. So you're like, yeah. you're like the flower I'm... child of your party? 
Yes, which I was literally dressed as the flower child last night. So, Perfect. yeah, the, <laughs> there was an earlier thing time when we went out and we were dancing and people were like very concerned about my <laughs> potential level of alcohol intake. They were like, oh, no, is she OK? And I was like, don't worry, guys, <laughs> I am basically sober and still doing this. So. so are you saying that your dancing is so bad that it, people might think that you're stone drunk yes wow (laughs) yeah the quote the quote from last night was you look like you're on laudanum (laughs) (laughs) that's magnificent (laughs) yeah so that's it just have that picture in your head green fairy i is it weird that i'm proud of you like i mean i'm i'm not mad at myself natural highs man natural highs you just got it. Like, I just realized at some point, just who gives a shit? <laughs> like, I've been saying that for years. Yeah. Not so. a single shit oh. will be given. Oh, I'm really yeah. excited. So I'm blowing off that party night, which I'm actually kind of sad about. It was a group of my old high school. I'm sorry. No, my old college. Um, uh, it's the mm-hmm. Ren Fair Club. My old Rennies, oh. who I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have this big annual party called Feast. And it's, we get a couple cabins out in the woods and we cook a huge dinner and do all sorts of games and stuff. And I don't mm-hmm. have, I don't always go, but when I do go, I really have a great time. And so that was supposed to be tonight, but it's raining ice in Michigan and it's good. We're supposed mm-hmm. to have, like, my deck was clear and beautiful this morning. Everything out there mm-hmm. is white. <laughs> and then we're oh, supposed so to be sad. covered in a half inch of ice by tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Ah, jeez. I know. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> Meanwhile, it was supposed to be like 70 degrees today, but now it's only going to be like 40. So Yeah, because we're, and, well, Whatever. it's coming for you. Right now, uh, no. Nebraska's oh. getting mollywopped with a blizzard. It's headed into Wisconsin, and then that's going to be like the final push of our weather. So it'll come to you. Mm, fun. Enjoy. Speaking of just riveting conversations about the weather. <laughs> Am I the only one who thinks weather conversations are fun? I love meteorology. Wow. Um, also, uh, just uh, just up top, uh, we are recording this um, during the day, so I want to, uh, if you're hearing more noise than usual in the background, it's because it's daytime, and so there are uh, there are cars driving down the road past my house constantly. And so, there will be ice slapping at my windows, because yeah. I'm very close to the outside. And then also, my cat, because of the inclement weather, is trying to snuggle away from the weather so he's Mm. he literally has been running in here just throwing his face against the microphone and then leaving so i'm hoping (laughs) ambient noises for everyone yeah so you guys can really experience like the at home (laughs) yeah just the home versions of kate and jen yeah life on the highway (laughs) all right well oh hey um speaking of life at home Mm-hmm. I have a mini shout out. This is oh. for, I've actually, I've never met her, but she works with my mom and she listens to the show. Her name is KG and uh, I appreciate her listening to the show and kind of keeping my mom informed enough that she doesn't feel like oh. she has to listen. So, That's a very important job. I know, right? I have like so well much. Well done. The, she has no idea like how much she's like keeping the family dynamic together. <laughs> so she she tells people, she says that it's a great show, but that it's very quote unquote 
sweary, which is very accurate. <laughs> so, okay, I really appreciate you. Way. I've got some um, some stuff from us headed to you via my mom, so keep a lookout for that. I don't know when I'm going to see her next, though, so hold your horses. <laughs> so, okay, thank you. Mm, yes, doing the doing the Lord's work. Doing the Lord's well, probably not. I mean. <laughs> Doing our work. Doing doing the job of keeping my mom out of this. <laughs> um, so what are we doing today? What's our what are, what's going on? Uh I believe we are talking I about a thing called love. What? Sorry. <laughs> Wait a really swallow the lead there. No, we're talking about curses today. Curses. <laughs> hey. And we could go like Honestly, you could do a whole like ten part series on curses because there are just so many. But we're going to talk about three. Super sure that this is like we are absolutely going to visit curses in the future. There are some yeah. great curse stories out there. Mm-hmm. There's some really famous ones that we're not even going to mention. So yeah. don't don't add us. We know about it. Okay. We promise Jesus. we're going to cover this again in the future. This is a big deep well, and we're coming back to it. Do you want to jump in? Is there any background information? Yeah. Oh, hey, do you know what today is? It's it's 414, which is a mm-hmm. significant it's the last day that Titanic was above the water. Aww, which know. means it's like very close to well, uh I I started working at the Titanic exhibit around around the anniversary this time 5 years ago. I know. Which means we're we're getting close to our friend anniversary. Happy friend anniversary. Let's just let's just officially call April 14th, our friend anniversary. Yeah, that's fitting. Okay. The day that Titanic sank is <laughs> the day our friendship was born. <laughs> it's a good metaphor in its own way. <laughs> yeah. It's where things started going downhill. Happy friend anniversary, friend. And, and uh, I'm glad you're in my life. Oh, okay. All right. This We're, is gross. Go on. <laughs> let's talk about spooky shit. God damn. Yes. Uh, so I'm going to jump yeah. in here. We are 1700s England in the area okay. of Thirsk, which is a very fun word to say. And don't Thirsk. at me if I'm saying it wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm saying it yes. right because they say it on Downton. Yeah. If, uh, Downton is the authority on all English pronunciation. So, I yeah, I believe them. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so... This is the story of Thomas Busby. You might be familiar with him if you are familiar with the area of Thirsk because he's actually a prominent figure in one of their museums because, <laughs> goddamn, I can't help but be attracted to stories about that. And I am not familiar with either of those That's okay. or places. You're, so. It's very, it's going to be great. So We're Thomas Busby ride. was not, uh, not an upstanding citizen. He was a known mm. drunkard about the town. And Mm -hmm. just before the 1700s, so the end of the 17th century, beginning of the 18th century, a new gentleman comes to town. His name is Daniel Audie. Daniel Audie comes to town with his daughter, Elizabeth. Thomas Busby Mm -hmm. is already in place. Audie's a counterfeiter, also known as a coin man. And he sets up kind of an elaborate uh, counterfeiting game here in the Thirsk area. He buys a house big enough to be called a hall. He has uh, a series of locked rooms that make sure nobody discovers him. And meanwhile, he kind of leaves his daughter to live her own life, do her own thing. She's old enough to be wed, but hasn't been married yet. Mm-hmm. So Okay, wait, wait, wait. Yep. One second. Yes. Counterfeiting. Coins. So he's making fake coins. Yep. How did... The, what is it? This... Hall? What is this? Like, is he turning his house into like some kind of casino or what? <laughs> no, he, um, that's just okay. where he actually does the mint jobs. 
And oh, so okay, okay, okay. he doesn't want so people like to find him, you know, minting <laughs> things against the king. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So, but it, but okay. he was prominent enough to have a home that was known as a hall. I don't oh, remember. Of course, okay. I don't remember what the hall is named. It's something like Abington Hall or something. Sure, sure, sure. But it, he was one of those fancy British men who can have a fucking name for their house. Right. Exactly. That sounds. Nice. I've always okay. wanted a name for my house, but I can never find anything suitable. Technically, my house is called the barn. So, see, I like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just want like a Harry Potter style address, like Mr. and Mrs. Kate uh, at, oh. you know, like Mr. and Mrs. Kate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. We need a, we need a name for your house. Like, I know. Egg. Yes, Jen. This is exactly yeah. what I'm saying. I no, thought I'm about like what you're putting down the castle or something like that. I don't know, but it's really mm-hmm. like it's such a small house. It's not really a castle. I don't know. You know what? Mm-hmm. I, you guys, I'll put a picture we'll of my house this. up sometime, and then you can tell me what we should name the fucking house. <laughs> okay. The suburbs. <laughs> That's super true. Yes. Um, all right. So let's get back to Thomas Busby. No. Okay. Okay. So the crux here is the daughter Elizabeth Audie. Audie falls in love mm-hmm. with Thomas Busby. Thomas Busby is a notorious drunk, not who a reputable man who, okay, yeah, he's a counterfeiter, mm-hmm. but he he had this kind of upstanding citizenship in the community. Nobody knew he was a counterfeiter until he was murdered. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Uh, that's where the story's going? That's where the story is going. Moida. Okay. <laughs> I'm in. A moida most foul. Oh. <laughs> so Elizabeth falls in love with Busby. They are wed. Eventually, it becomes clear that Busby's drinking is just completely out of hand. And so Audie thinks that one of the best ways he can control Busby is to bring him into the counterfeiting game as well. So now they're both coin men. Oh, it's like the mob now. Uh, You would think. The actual fight is never what you think it's going to be about. So Busby continues to drink and drink and drink. He's getting sloppy. And so Daniel Audie goes to the inn where Elizabeth and Thomas had been living very close to his hall. And he goes there and he says to his daughter, you're going to leave this man. You won't be married to him anymore. Come back and live with me. This guy has to get out of our lives. Elizabeth refuses. And eventually Thomas shows up, stone drunk, and a fight ensues. It's so heated, but not violent. And the crux of the fight... The, the main point of the fight is not even, it's not the counterfeit job. It's not mm-hmm. his drinking. It's not even the treatment of his daughter, uh, the, the daughter. It's that mm-hmm. Mr. Audie, the dad, father-in-law, is yeah. sitting in Thomas's favorite chair. <laughs> oh, my God. And it was such a sign of disrespect that it came into this huge, glorious fight. Now, eventually, Audie leaves. Thomas Busby lets him go. And in the wee hours of the morning, he goes back to his father-in-law's house and bludgeons him to death. So he's had time to cool down. Oh and my God. doesn't matter. He goes and he bludgeons him to death. The next... Wait, wait, wait. So, so who is in whose chair? The father-in-law is sitting in Thomas's chair. Is this in the inn or is this at the... It's in the inn. Oh, I'm very confused. I'm sorry. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> so effectively, when they got married, Thomas and the daughter... Mm-hmm. They moved mm-hmm. into an inn as a short-term residence. Okay. Which is, like, funny considering Papa-in-law has, like, money. Yeah, but... they're but, living in an inn. 
if they already, you know, if he wanted to already have, if they already had problems, maybe. I mean, I think it's yeah. pretty early days after their marriage. Mm-hmm. Right. So, okay. so yeah, they moved Anyways. out. They're staying at this inn. And this fight happens and it all goes down because the father-in-law is sitting in Thomas Busby's favorite chair. That... Which is not even his chair. Right. It's at an inn. And yet... Anyway. It is his chair. <laughs> I mean, I yet. sort of get it. Have you ever been in like a chair politics sort of situation where oh, the chair isn't the real problem? It's like levels of disrespect and the chair is just like the fighting point. Can I tell you a funny story about um, a fight my sister and I had? I knew it would be a sibling. <laughs> I knew it because me and my sister have fought about chairs before too. <laughs> Go for it. Always. So this is the Salt Lake City Olympics. <laughs> we're what is it with your family and the fucking Olympics? Dude, we love it. We just, we're not athletes ourselves, but we like to live vicariously. Um, so <laughs> whenever the Olympics would be on in our youth, we would just spend those entire two weeks just glued to the screen. And I still, to this day, am every time the Olympics come on. So uh, we're watching skiing or whatever the fuck. And <laughs> like one of us, there's this coveted spot on the couch. That's, you know, everyone, yep. it's the perfect spot because it's right, it's on the end um, and it's right next to the table. Yep. Uh, so you've got easy access. Uh, it's just like this really comfy corner pocket. You can, usually you end up taking up the entire couch cause you just sit sideways on it. Yep, and, of course you do. Yeah. Everyone just let, it's the favorite spot on the couch. And so Laura was sitting there and she had gotten up. And I, of course, being the young asshole sister, took the spot, <laughs> I believe. Wait, did she, she say back. save, save, save? I don't think she did. So uh-huh. I think it was up for grabs. Yeah, that's on but her. She came, yeah, she came back and, of course, was furious that I had taken her spot. And I was like, y'all, it's my spot now. Move your and feet, we got, lose your seat. We got in, Exactly. We got into the worst, like, scratch fest fight, and I, like, drew blood, and it was so, we were so furious with each other and ended up drawing blood, and I think I ended up still with the spot. I don't, I don't remember. Anyway, so I, I understand the politics of the spot. It's, uh, it's very Yeah, it, well, okay, so there have been a number of times that me and my sister have fought like that. And you and your sister, I mean, Maggie and I get along better now that we're mm-hmm. adults, but like as kids, we like largely hated each other. And yeah. my cousin Laurel, uh, the easiest way to get her to crack up is to remind her of the time that me and my sister were ch- chasing each other around the house with steak knives trying to stab each other. <laughs> oh my God. That's how fucking extra we were. <laughs> um, if listeners, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my God, I have a story like that. Uh, let us know on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's, I, I find sibling fights to be hilarious. You um, would... Okay. Uh, the more absurd, you, the better. The. Yep. Okay, so, yeah. you, so what we're saying, though, is that you understand the power of a good chair, even if it's not legally yeah. your chair. Right, so right, 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 right. he bludgeons his father-in-law to death. So many people Holy heard shit. this fight in the inn. When they found the body, they knew exactly who did the murder. Of course. Mm-hmm. And so Thomas Busby is tr- uh, arrested, tried, and executed via hanging. Afterwards, uh-huh. his body is hung on a gibbet at the crossroads. Jen, mm, what do you classic. also regularly find at the crossroads? Uh, um, uh, is it this like a is this like a 
making deals with the devil kind of a thing. Ooh, yes. Or am I just watching too much Supernatural? <laughs> no, that's a thing. The devil off the, the you'll find the devil at the crossroads. Uh, yes, but also you find inns. Oh. <laughs> the gibbet that Thomas Busby was hung in mm-hmm. was right in front of the inn where he and his wife had been living. Mm. So, mm. okay. allegedly, he started haunting that area as well. Okay. And then specifically started haunting his chair. The chair became cursed. The story went, I don't know, 18th century viral. In, <laughs> the inn owner made money off the chair. He he told people the story about how this chair was cursed and anybody who would sit mm-hmm. in it would die. And it became mm. kind of a tourist attraction. Mm-hmm. And the owner of the inn, who continued to own the inn, passed it on, passed it on, passed it on, all the way through the 1970s, with the same chair still in residence. Wow. Uh, It is claimed to have taken over 63 lives. Wait, what? Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Okay, go on. (laughs) I don't have any verification for some of the early stories that they list, but there are Uh some verified stories in the following years, 1940s through the 1970s. So in the... 1940s Canadian airmen were staying at a nearby barracks and they would come to the inn to eat and drink and they found out about the chair and mm-hmm. they were like oh we'll sit in it we'll sit in it anybody who said that they would sit in it wouldn't come back from their next mission <gasps> Whoa. a roofer a young man in the prime of his life he was actually a roofer's apprentice was dared by all of the men he was learning from that day Sit in the chair, sit in the chair, sit in the chair. And he mm-hmm. let his bottom, bottom, <laughs> bottom. He, he let his ass touch the chair. <laughs> technical, in the, in the original French, the bottom. The bottom. <laughs> his buttocks, which is such a great word. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was only, he only let his butt touch the chair for a second. Later oh, that afternoon, uh-huh. he fell through a roof that they were working on and broke his neck on the floor. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. This one's bizarre. A chimney sweep was drinking heavily into the night there. And Mm -hmm. by all accounts, he left and was fine. The next morning, he was found strangled to death, hung from the gate next to the mock gibbet that they had put up for tourists. (gasps) Oh, my God. Indeed. And then into the the later 70s, two men were drinking and they were daring each other to sit in the chair, sit in the chair, sit in the chair. They both mm-hmm. finally did it. Later that night, they dry- They both died in a traffic accident. Oh, my God. Okay. I think this immediately begs the question, would you sit in the chair? Um... No. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, I, I wouldn't. Think it's, I would not worth, it's not worth the risk. And on top of that, I- like... I don't know. Chairs that were around in 1702 are not made for bodies like mine, so... Well... Oh, yeah, um, but like, I don't think I would sit in it either. Like, that's yeah, not worth it. I, if it were, if it were just like you'll be haunted, I would totally sit in that chair. Right. But there's enough of a track record where I think I would not do that. Where it it sort of becomes statistically significant, you know? Yeah. Like it, there might be something to this. So yeah, I don't think I would sit there either. I'm sure there's a lot of coincidence involved. Sure. The two men who were drinking and then got in a traffic accident. Yeah, that that, sounds likely. You know. (laughs) But there's so... Oh, man. Mm -hmm. 
Well, eventually the owner of the inn in 1978 took matters into his own hand. He was sick of the stress and the drama and the dares. And so he Mm -hmm. took it to the Thirsk Museum where they did accept it. And instead of leaving it on the floor. No one can sit in the chair because there's a velvet rope across it. Oh, God, if only. No, they did better than that. They hung it high on the wall so no one can sit in it. There you go. And it's still there today. You actually, I went through their website and they have a little thing about it. It's a highlighted section of their museum. So it must be what they're known for. Yeah, it's so. You know, they've got stories though. I, have I had had time, I would have reached out to them and been like, hey, I'm a museum worker in Michigan and we have a podcast. Can you tell me about your haunted chair? (laughs) But there wasn't time. If I know, if I know anything about museum people now, they would all love to tell you stories. (laughs) That seems to be the case. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So, so that's Thomas Busby. Um, Oh, the inn's called the Busby Stoop Inn. It's still in operation today, I understand. Stoop is mm-hmm. another word for gibbet. Oh, okay. So there you I go. Wouldn't, you, you, you would think they'd be like, yeah, this is the one where the chair is honk, the cursed chair. Right. Yeah. Cursed chair in. <laughs> That's the whole name. No, this is the one with the cursed chair in. <laughs> like an episode of Friends. <laughs> That's perfect. So yeah, that's about what I have. It's kind of short, but I have yeah, a second one of... for your for your tasting later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tasting is um, not that's... a good word. I don't care for, for that. your culinary delight. That's... I yeah okay. <laughs> wow, that that's a fun little little tale. I've not heard of that one. I like that there was a pretty clear connection to like the chair and the rest of everything else. Sometimes something's yeah. just cursed because it's just cursed and nobody ever says why. And so yeah. I get irritated with stories like those. Yeah, there's a lot of coincidences out there that get uh, labeled as curses, which kind of is a good segue to mine. Do tell. Yeah, so I feel like when we said the word curses, probably everyone had one immediately in mind. Uh, I bet a lot of you were like, King Tut, King Tut. No, we're not doing that one, not yet. So, But I, uh, I went with the next best thing, which is Rasputin. So I think uh, probably a lot of you might have thought of Rasputin when, when we said curses. I don't Do you know, know what I thought of right away? Hmm. I thought first of William Shakespeare's grave. Be, cursed be thee, okay. anyone who disturbs these here bones or whatever. And that then I thought of the Kennedy curse. Yeah. I'd like to do that one someday. That's a good one. I think it's also more coincidence, but there are a lot of, there is a lot of shit that's happened to that family. So that, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. Well, and some of yeah. it is just that they're, they're public people, you know. They're it's, public people. They've drawn a lot of attention to themselves. It's fine. We'll cover that later. We will. Um, we'll get to but, it. Yeah, so I we we decided we were talking about Rasputin. Um, I was like, oh, that needs some time and you know devotion because that's such a big story. And you know, I was like, oh well, okay, I'll do it. And then I st- I was like pulling up my podcast app, just you know, listening to podcasts constantly like I do. And I realized that last podcast on the left is like in the middle of a series on them. Are they? Uh, it's yes. It's probably going to be over by the time this comes out. So. Uh, if you're interested in a deep dive into the life and times of Rasputin, I would recommend that series. It's I think it's up to three parts now. I don't know if they're going to do a fourth one, but they certainly could. That's really um, cool. Yeah, check them out. They do a lot of good research. They're it's a good yeah it's a good show. So I'm not going to go quite in depth 
as they are because we don't have time for that. We don't have the attention span for that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I'll, I'll give you a kind of a brief overview. I'll, I'll hint at some things that you can go into further with them. Can I if just apologize so to you in advance and tell you that I'm going to reference the Broadway musical and 1997 musical frequently? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. The entire, like all this morning, the only thing that was in my head is, have you heard? There's a rumor in St. Petersburg. Have you heard? Comrades, what do you suppose? Yeah. did not survive. One, One daughter might be still alive. Da, da, da. The princess on a stage. That's coming to Grand Rapids next June, and I am so oh excited God. I could piss my fucking pants. Oh, okay. That's, Sorry, yeah. is that a surprising amount of excitement for me? Because I feel like it shouldn't be considering. No, it's not. It's not. It's okay. very on brand. Okay, so Gregory Rasputin, or Gregory Rasputin, if you're pronouncing it the American way. Let's call him Greg. Greg. I, uh, I don't feel yeah. like we have, like, it's kind of like Schittler. Like, I don't really feel like being particularly respectful of your name. Yeah, yeah. He's not, you know, obviously quite as bad as Schittler. No, but, who uh, is? <laughs> <laughs> he got blamed for a lot of things. Uh, he was born in a small village in western Siberia, which is the most depressing place to be born. Wow, that's he, that's quite a social yeah. climb to go from western Siberia to the court in of western Tsar. Siberia, born and raised. <laughs> <laughs> I demand you finish that parody rap. In the horse fields is where he spent most of his days, <laughs> chilling out, drinking, and having some fucks. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that's. <laughs> you know what though? I like I like the groundwork that you've laid. Let's come back to it and work up a parody someday. Okay, all right, we got a good start. Um, yeah, so he was born in Western Siberia. He was rumored to have mystical powers from a very early age. He would just kind of look at you and be like you're going to die someday and <laughs> and a lot of them apparently came true we have no idea how many of his predictions didn't come true so he could have just been walking up to every single person on the street and being, you're going to drop your pail of milk later today and and then it would happen and they'd be like holy shit do you know who i'm picturing as you're saying this uh-huh you know parks and rec Yes, obviously. Orin, Orin from Parks and Rec. No, that's like legit. Who this person? Yes, it's Orin. It's just like, it's it's this creepy guy, Orin from Parks and Rec, who's just like, yeah, you're gonna drop your pail of milk, and people are like, oh my god, it came true. He's a witch. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of shit. It was probably like, who knows all the different kind of predictions he would make. It's just, it would range from you know, kind of whatever to like prophesying someone's death and. So, yeah, he had kind of a reputation. He was also apparently really great with horses. <laughs> so he just had kind of an aura of mysticism about him from from a very young age, much like our dear friend Oren. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he also, as you know, there's not a whole lot to do in Western Siberia. So he started drinking heavily, as most Russians in that area do. As most um, anybody where there's not much to do. Look at, yeah. like, look at the... Um, incidents of teen alcoholism in northern Canada. Right. Yeah. Any kind of rural area, there's going to be a lot of alcohol consumption. So he would, you know, he'd get drunk and get into trouble. There was one particular instance where he was facing the potential of 
I don't know, some kind of punishment that was more severe than just a slap on the wrist. And instead of taking, I don't know, whatever jail time or whatever, he he offered a, a pilgrimage to like a monastery or something nearby. And they're like, I, I mean, all right, whatever. It was actually kind of a more intense punishment than was originally offered. So it showed like he had some kind of religious leanings early on in life as you like he went away to this monastery and kind of like got converted into this monastic yeah it was like a monastic order it must be russian orthodox yeah we're part of the russian orthodox church so it's like catholicism but weirder (laughs) i don't know how much people know about the russian orthodox church we don't know i don't think we know exactly what sect he kind of converted to a lot of people believe it was I'm going to butcher this. The Klist religious sect. Um, It's K-H-L-Y-S-T. Oh. So. Not what I thought you Um, said at first. What did you think I said? Clit? Yep. Okay. There's a (laughs) Klist. (laughs) But you're not far off with the kind of like vibe of that (laughs) religious sect because apparently they were very into doing the sex as like they were you know they believe that kind of like all sex was sin not not just like extramarital sex but the way they would kind of deal with that was to have a lot of sex and then self-flagellate yeah well not necessarily self-flagellate but like then repent you know so they were like is that repenting if you're like uh, yeah, I know. It's it's like a oh, you know, we gotta we gotta sit extra bad so that we can feel extra good later about being you know right, right. with the Lord, Be about so. being saved. But then, but then we're probably but I'll sit again with you on Tuesday. I feel like yeah, that's maybe yeah. not what God had in mind. Not that I, I have ever been an authority on what God wants. It's it's whatever. I don't know. It's <laughs> people still do that now. So. People are Probably. insane. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I get distracted. Anyway, so that's what this kind of religious sect did. I think, like, they they think he was involved with that because he did a lot of the the sex, <laughs> yeah, even as after his religious conversion. He was not um, an attractive man, so. <laughs> no, I don't know if you've ever seen a photo of Greg Rasputin. Greg. Mr. Old Greg. Greg. Old Greg, but yeah, he's got the crazy eyes. Um, so a lot of drinking, a lot of sexing, and a lot of mysticism. Russians That's... really know how to party. I will say that for yeah. them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he was like kind of like in and out of his hometown in Siberia. He actually married and had a couple kids, but he would just kind of like wander off, go teach, and then come back and be like, hello, family. And then also just like still be like having affairs flagrantly in front of, you know, his wife and everyone. Wild, wild dude. So <laughs> he eventually ended up in uh, St. Petersburg, which, as you know, it was the seat of uh, Tsarist Russia. If you are interested in the history of the Russian royal family, I highly recommend. Uh, there's a docu-series by my girl, Lucy Worsley, on Netflix. That it's called Empire of the Tsars. And Ooh. it yeah, it's very good. I would uh, I highly recommend checking it out. But yeah, you'll you'll learn all the details of why the capital moved to St. Petersburg. Just that's you know, just the, all you need to know is that's where 
the seat of power was at that time. So he moves there and he kind of gets connected with some kind of upper level members of the Russian Orthodox Church. And at this time, uh, this is kind of shortly during and after the, the age of spiritualism. It had, you know, started, I know, call back to earlier episodes. It started That's in true. America and it spread like wildfire. Um, Queen Victoria was super into it. And so, of course, it spread to Russia as well. And it was kind of just like the new hot trend among the rich aristocracy. They were just, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, Satan worshiping, but it was more just like, let's have seances and like, be more like, I don't know, a cultish instead of like just your straight up vanilla religion. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, the, you know, upper echelon of the church was kind of uneasy about this and they wanted to kind of win the aristocracy back for Jesus. And so they kind of saw Rasputin as probably like a kind of an in-between you know how Christianity likes to be like, oh, you like that thing? Well, we'll give you something that's close to that, but more right. Jesus-centric. So the, here's this like wild, insane, drunk man from Siberia who still believes in Jesus, but he's you know creepy as fuck. Um, yeah. And they're like, this is I'm our sure dude. he had sort of like a magnetism about him too. I think yes. that people who are good with horses who can kind of project that calming influence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can I? Okay, so I'm gonna call myself out here for a second. I'm pretty good with horses, and I'm really great oh, with kids. Oh, are you? Yeah, and so it's all about like just being a calm energy, not making any sudden mm. movements, and sort of having that je ne sais quoi. Yes, charisma. Yeah, like a little bit of charisma where you can sort of manipulate, uh, mimic, and manipulate whoever it is you're with. So mm-hmm. I'm fairly comfortable talking to say. I don't know. I would be. It would be a different president. Imagine me talking to a different president of the United States. I would be fairly comfortable right. talking to them. I could be just as comfortable talking with a four-year-old, and and mm-hmm. and just sort of be able to be in control of both of those situations. That sort mm-hmm. of magnetism and like control and a little bit of manipulation. Yeah, so calling myself no, out right there. That's exactly right. And and what you said about um, talking to you know, the president or someone in power, that's that's exactly what he had. He had this kind of ability to be completely comfortable around people who had power. And, and you know, people who are really rich and in power kind of like to kind of have, like, they kind of like to slum it is, is, the, is yes. the phrase where they'll just be like, oh, you know, we're talking to a regular person. Ooh. Yeah. And it just feels like kind of like dangerous and sexy to them, which is like hilarious. But right. A lot of rich people like to do that and feel like they're just really connecting with, you know, like real America. Salt of the earth. Salt of the earth. And it's just like complete bullshit. But that's exactly what he was to them. And that's and I think he knew that, too, because he just like had this sense of like he wanted power. So he did what he had to do to get it. Mm -hmm. Um, And he took advantage of a great situation for him. So he was kind of being used by the you know clergy in power but he was also using them to get into power so they they needed an in with him to get into you know the establishment mm-hmm. and for for him it was this couple of aristocratic sisters who were in the upper echelon but weren't actually part of the royal family but they were kind of these known as like the goth <laughs> girls of the russian court awesome 
one of their nicknames were the Crow Sisters. So it's, yeah. And if you want to learn more about this, I, I recommend listening to the last podcast on the left because that's where I heard about it. So yeah, they like he met with them and they like were immediately into it. And so like they'd hang out all the time and do, you know, whatever, talk about spooky shit. And then they were the ones who introduced Rasputin to the Tsar and Tsarina. So they, this is where I'm going to get a little bit into the, the Russian royal family. So we have the Romanovs and they've been around for a while. And the current guy on the throne was Tsar Nicholas II. He I, you know what? I don't, I'm not going to go into too much detail about them, but. Because most of wife. us should be fairly familiar already. <laughs> I mean, if you're into this kind of thing, chances are you've probably read up a little bit on the Romanovs. <laughs> like if you've ever been on Pinterest into the history section, it's either Titanic or the Romanovs. Is it? I'm never on or Pinterest. Or World War II. Oh yeah. my God. I, I used to go on there all the time and it was three things. <laughs> So Tsar Nicholas, he's, you know, the the last of the Romanovs for reasons we'll get into. Uh, but his wife, Alexandra, was a descendant of Queen Victoria. And if you know anything about the descendants of Queen Victoria, you'll know that they had what was known as the royal disease. Hemophilia. Hemophilia, that's right. Um, and Alexandra herself did not have hemophilia. She was a carrier. Yes. So... Uh, she marries, you know, the, the Tsar of Russia, and they have four girls right off the bat, which is not ideal because after Catherine the Great, Russia was like not so into women ruling, which is really a shame because she was such a badass. Um, Even if she did fuck a horse. That's a rumor. It's a pretty fun rumor, and I'm going to perpetuate it. it. But it's like, but, you know, that's how you know you're doing awesome shit is when people have to spread rumors like that accurate <laughs> which, is kind of, which is kind of what happened to Rasputin actually so <laughs> <laughs> because they, I mean I, I haven't really touched on it but throughout his life there are apocryphal legends about and myths about like you know how awful he smelled and blah blah like all oh, these mystical powers that he had and he was a you know devil person and it's a one lot of his of mystical is... powers was smelling bad no but he just did smell bad oh okay because like, if, like if smelling bad is a power guess what i am harry potter <laughs> yeah aren't we all he just probably smelled the regular amount of bad for that time period um, um, I I think, yeah, maybe, maybe a little more for for a he place where a lot. deodorant is brand new, and also, if he was the kind of like ascetic monk where they didn't clean themselves very regularly, which I mean, look at a picture of him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no, he might have smelled. He might have been a filth wizard. I think he was. It's <laughs> just pretty. Pretty much. That's a lot. That's wow. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, sorry. I keep interrupting you. Go ahead, love. No, it's fine. Um, but yeah, long story short, there's a lot of propaganda about him that it makes it a little difficult to parse out what is and isn't true. But so we know that he was in, introduced to the Tsar and Tsarina and Alexandra, the Tsarina in particular, took an interest in him because the fifth child that she had was their first and only son. And he was named Alexei. Mm -hmm. And he was the heir to the throne. And he 
was the one who had hemophilia. Oh, it's not, bad news bears. It's bad news bears, especially if you're the one and only heir to the throne. So if you are not familiar with what hemophilia is, it's an inability to um, clot your blood. So it's pretty, it's it's dangerous when you, you like get a cut or like, you know, not like a paper cut, but like a really bad cut. Your, your blood is not going to naturally clot, which is bad. Right. But what's even more dangerous than a cut is a bruise or a pretty bad bruise that will cause that can cause internal bleeding and you can't really do anything about that so are they they more prone to to bruising like are um if the rest of us are say grapes which are pretty Mm -hmm. bruise proof are people Mm -hmm. with hemophilia more like peaches that are very simple to bruise i okay don't exactly quote me on this but yes i believe they do bruise more easily and i think like a regular bruise for them is not like necessarily life-threatening but it's like pretty bad because your blood is not going to naturally clot well and consider consider if you are the the child of the czar in Mm -hmm. the you know 1890s through 1912 i guess he would have what he would have been born right around the year 1900 right yes Mm-hmm. So at that time, how do czars and their children and their families spend their time? They are horseback I mean, riding. Yeah. They're fishing. Yeah. They're hiking up hills. Mm-hmm. It was a big part of the romance of nature, kind of that uh, uh, romantic ideology about, you know, the glory of nature and being out there in it. So so he could get hurt easily doing any of those things. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, they they figured that out early on. Mm-hmm. And so they, you know, started treating him like, you know, a, one of their Fabergé eggs that they're also known for. Right. <laughs> um, they, yeah, they very much coddled him and like kept him like, you know, very safe because they knew that any bad fall off of a horse could mean the end of their dynasty. So I think he... Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if he was much into horse riding because they would not let him do anything yeah. that might jeopardize his health. And another thing that didn't help the situation was aspirin was a, a new fangled thing around this time. Oh, please. Yes. And let's thin the blood of hemophiliacs. Exactly. So oh, aspirin was kind of treated as a wonder drug. And what it does is it thins your blood. So doctors were, you know, trying to treat him. And didn't know what to do, but they're like, well, here's this thing that cures most ailments, so we'll give it to you. And it made it worse. You know what else they were doing in, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s for Hmm. lots of different diseases? Hot baths. Yeah. mm -hmm. Also not great for keeping your blood thick. Yeah, they, and (laughs) they're kind of still using leeches occasionally too, which is also not great. I think they probably figured out maybe... I hope not to leech hemophiliacs. Yeah. God damn, this poor kid. He he always had a death sentence hanging over his head. Right. Yeah, that was they they were very worried about him from a very early age. Um and so here comes Rasputin who has kind of this mystical aura about him to begin with. But once he met Alexei, he had this kind of incredible power over him to kind of not heal his hemophilia because he can't do that, but 
to treat it in a way that no doctor ever could. And there are various theories about this and how it was possible, but it's, there are still some, there's, I don't know, there's, <laughs> there's some things that I wonder about. One of the main theories is that he, that Rasputin had such a mistrust of doctors that he forbid, you know, Alexei to see them and which meant that he wasn't getting dosed with aspirin all the time, which would have helped. <laughs> so that's one theory. Right. Another theory is that he, because he had such a calming, charismatic aura about him, that he was able to just kind of calm Alexei down and slow his heart rate and make it so like, even if he got hurt, that he would just kind of be almost hypnotized in a way that would kind of calm him and slow and slow the blood flow, which would, you know, make it be easier better. to staunch. Exactly. So, I mean, those kind of explain things in person. He would also, he, he wasn't always there. He would, you know, sometimes he, Alexi would be having an episode and they would send a telegram or something to Rasputin and he would send a telegram back, just be like, uh, you know, he'll be fine within the hour. And he was <laughs> like, it was, it was, it's kind of this, like, I don't know how he did it from afar. <laughs> you know, it was just in telegram form. I, um, I have a theory I, about that. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been in the middle of like a freak out and, and regardless of what your freak out's about. So when my, one of my friends was very sick and mm -hmm. I was flipping out because there was nothing I can do and everything else was so out of control. And my husband just texted me and he was like, it's going to be okay. In 30 mm. minutes, you're going to feel better. Wow, and like, yeah. it's, I would have felt better had, had Dan sent that text message or not, because you really can't sustain a hissy fit for that long. Yeah. But it did kind of have a calming effect on me. Sometimes somebody who you have a great deal of trust in telling you mm -hmm. that it's going to be okay, even at a distance yeah. still can work. Just as a thought. Yeah, no, that's actually, that's, I think, I think that's really true. And I think that gets back to um, like his predictions that he made as a child, where you could see it as this mystical power, or it could just be that he had a good sense for things and just like, he's like, you know what, in an hour, this isn't going to matter. And then it didn't. And then yeah. it's like hindsight bias where you're like, oh my gosh, yes. it's true. Yes, that's um, exactly the term, hindsight bias. Yeah. So, yeah, I think ultimately, like, the guy had charisma and he had a calming effect, but I don't think that he necessarily had any supernatural powers. But that didn't stop everyone at the time from thinking that he had supernatural powers. <laughs> Alexandra, she was obviously, you know, very, you know, thankful and grateful that he had this power over her son and so she like brought him right into her inner circle and would just kind of take advice from him on health matters but also oh. just kind of everything he became a he like oh that's a powerful thing no exactly. wonder people were pissed I, I just finished up this great um it's it's called the great courses and it's all about medieval history mm -hmm. uh in england specifically in england so the like most of the fights that have taken place mm -hmm. have been about who gets to conference and give advice to the person in power exactly so so wow okay yeah so now the the two most powerful people in russia which is 
historic powder keg are listening Mm -hmm. to this highly suspect and highly what's the word Mm -hmm. when people it's like a hot button person controversial controversial this highly controversial (laughs) person okay i i can see how this would be you you see where this is going i i think i'm picking up where the where this is gonna lay down Mm -hmm. yeah so she uh, and and like it was he was always way closer to alexandra than he was to nicholas because alexandra just had this like mother's concern for her son so anything that helped him she would latch onto and so she just became very very close to him and would just kind of do whatever he told her to and that could have been fine if it weren't for world war one right (laughs) um so world war one breaks out in uh you know 19 teens 14 i don't know whatever and russia gets involved and and this is not coming at a great time for russia things are tense politically they the the populace of Russia had been slowly trying to take control of the government throughout, you know, the, the end of the czarist regime. Um, they had kind of elected kind of a parliament, but it was, there's a power struggle between the two. And again, go just watch Empire of the Czars if you want to know more about the political system. But suffice to say that things were a little uneasy between the aristocracy, the the monarchy and you know the regular people and so here's this figure who's kind of come up from nowhere um, and he's talking into the ear of the empress and that's not going to make really anyone happy the the aristocrats didn't really like that because here's this regular guy who's taking a position that they would want to have and of course regular people are kind of just mad at the monarchy in general because they're out of touch and not really making great policies and getting involved in this really big expensive war that is not benefiting them so world war one happens russia gets involved and it's not really going well and then to say so, the least to say the least it's not going well for anyone to be fair Early on, it was going well for Germany, but it just, everyone, it was a shit show all around. Absolutely. So, Tsar Nicholas, he hears that things are not great on the front, and he decides to leave and and oversee the war in person. And so, now you have an absentee ruler, and he leaves his wife in charge. And who's in charge of his wife? <laughs> is Rasputin. So, and we don't know exactly what level of influence. He probably had quite a bit, but it was certainly exaggerated even more among the other people who weren't in power. There were rumors that they were having an affair. Uh, There was rumors that he was the one in charge. I don't think they were having an affair. I think it was... Because you... Yeah, right. I, th- I think she. I think she had some well, self-respect. Honestly, um, she was quite beautiful too. And and Tsar Nicholas II is not a hideous man, so exactly. you know she's she's used to betting a, a, a solid eight. She's not going to take a three in. Yeah, and even if even when you know Nicholas isn't around, there's like any number of attractive men around. Probably, it's true. There are some good-looking so, Russian men. Yeah, I think it was the issue was they wanted to keep. Alexei's hemophilia on the down low because when your government's already kind of unstable and then everyone finds out that your only heir is so fragile, that's not great. Yeah. (laughs) That's not really a recipe for political stability. 
So she kind of let the rumors happen because she didn't want the real, the truth to come out. So Nicholas is away at war. She's at home with Rasputin and just like people are getting mad and eventually they start plotting to assassinate Rasputin. And it's kind of everyone who wants to kill him. There were several assassination attempts. There's one in June of 1914 where a beggar woman stabbed uh, Rasputin in the stomach, claiming he was seducing the innocent, which, I mean, probably he was. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But by being stabbed in the stomach, he made a full recovery, even though he lost a lot of blood. And he was close to death for a while, but he, he did recover. Uh, So this kind of started this rumor that he was hard to kill, that he had this kind of like mystical power to defy death. So two years later, a group of nobles, and I'm reading this from a Times article, so I'm just, I think I'm just going to read this whole excerpt because it's basically everything you need to know. Okay. A group of nobles led by a man named Felix, oh, you (laughs) suppose, nope. (laughs) Oh, that's a Y? No, I can't tell. There's a squiggly line under it. Our apologies Felix. to the Russian language. Uh, a nobleman named Felix something plotted to get rid of Rasputin once and for all. So on December 30th, 1916, this guy invited Rasputin to dine at his home. After a heavy meal complete with wine and dessert, all supposedly heavily laced with poison, the men looked on as amazingly Rasputin showed no symptoms that the poison was having an effect on him. What? The men, yes. He was just like, fuck your cyanide, I gotta get out of here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, allegedly. I don't, we don't know. Yeah, the men proceeded to shoot Rasputin, who according to the legend still drew breath after a barrage of bullets and only died after he was thrown into an ice cold river to drown. Wow. Yeah. Like a honey badger. Yeah, yeah, I think that's like really the animal equivalent to Rasputin is the honey badger. Wow, wow, wow. It goes on to say that uh, while Rasputin's death was in fact plotted by this guy and other nobles, the autopsy reports showed that there was no poison in his system and that he seemed to have died from a single bullet to the head. So I don't know how much of that story is apocryphal. There's a chance that there was actually no poison in the food and he did just, you know, die from a bullet to the head and was dumped in the river. I don't think he was actually alive when he was dumped into the river. Well, but, there you go. Still, yeah. hell of a story. Mm-hmm. Now, it's So it's Rasputin's dead, what year is it? This is 1916. So okay. the war is still happening. Interestingly... A couple weeks before his death, in December 16, uh, in December 1916, Rasputin sent a letter to Nicholas about his own death, and it said, and I quote, I feel that I shall leave life before January 1st. I wish to make known to the Russian people, to Papa, which is the Tsar, and to the Russian mother, the Tsarina, uh, and to the children what they must understand. If I am killed by common assassins, and especially by my brothers, the Russian peasants, you, the Tsar of Russia, will have nothing to fear for your children. They will reign for hundreds of years. But if I am murdered by the boyars, nobles, and if they shed my blood, their hands will remain soiled with my blood for 25 years, and they will leave Russia. 
Brothers will kill brothers, and they will kill each other and hate each other, and for 25 years there will be no peace in the country. The Tsar of the land of Russia, if you hear the sound of the bell, which will tell you that Grigory has been killed, you must know this. If it was your relations who have wrought my death, then none of your children will remain alive for more than two years. And if they do, they will beg for death, as they will see the defeat of Russia, see the Antichrist coming, plague, poverty, destroyed churches, and desecrated sanctuaries where everyone is dead. The Russian Tsar, you will be killed by the Russian people, and the people will be cursed and will serve as the devil's weapon, killing each other everywhere. Three times for 25 years they will destroy the Russian people in the Orthodox faith, and the Russian land will die. I shall be killed. I am no longer among the living. Pray, pray, be strong, and think of your blessed family. <sighs> Less than a year later. Holy fucking Zar- shit. Yes. Well, wait, break that down. Well, sorry, you probably are planning to break it down. Um, well, okay, so that letter is sent in December of 1916. He right. is dead, uh, you know, weeks later. Right. And on March 15th, 1917, so less than six months later, Tsar Nicholas abdicated the throne, and less than a year later after that, he was dead. Holy shit. So it's almost everything that he laid out there really did largely come to pass. He describes the the fall of the Russian Orthodox Church, which is going to happen under Stalin and Lenin and, and Russian communism. You know, they refer to religion as the opiate of the masses. Mm-hmm. They talk about about uh, the destruction of the land in the in the following years. As we know, uh, coming into the 1920s, Russia deals with a horrible growing season and and they right, have yeah. a series of famines that get progressively mm-hmm. and progressively worse. All, I mean, really, he laid out everything that was going to happen in the following years. Mm-hmm. And I don't that it's just it's such a it's such a lot so that even mm. when he is saying you know if it's your countrymen if it's your brothers your your barons who are killing me your children will be dead within two years it sounds like that's the curse where even though Rasputin yeah. isn't responsible for the death of the czar and his children it's almost like he is right I know it's 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 so eerie because like he his quarrel was not with you know, the czar and his family, his, he, he knew he had enemies and he knew it was going to be, you know, one or the other. Uh, And it's just so interesting that, you know, he's, how he lays it out of like, you know, if it's, if it's this, if it's the peasants, then you guys are fine. But if it's the nobles, then all hell's going to break loose. And I think he could probably make that guess politically. Yes, that's true. It's more, it's like a chess game. Yeah, he, I think he had enough smarts to to think like, well, if the peasants kill me, you know, you and the ruling class will still be in power because you guys can unite. But if it's the nobles that kill, it's like that Game of Thrones thing. If you don't yes. have the nobles like unified against the peasants, then like the peasants can rise up against you. Um, and yeah, it's just so it's I mean, like he has been known. He, he was known his whole life for making predictions and probably a lot of it was bullshit. And like he just. I think he was just kind of shrewd and could kind of read situations better than maybe other people could. Yeah. But it's just so fascinating. I think there's like, there's a healthy mix of like, you know, things that you could 
you know, deduce as being a part of that situation. And I think he, he had a lot of savvy in knowing what the political situation was. But there's also just an eerie, like, truth to it where I, you know, there's some things that he can make educated guesses about. And there's other things where you're like, how could he have known this? Right, right. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And it's, I mean, I think, I'm sure there's also hindsight bias too. If, if you know, that if his death had been followed by, yeah, maybe a revolution, but still like, you know, plenty of healthy growing years, you know, you could look at that and be like, well, he was a fucking idiot. Like, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> right. well, and, and Russia is not a, not unknown to having periods of famine, cyclical famine. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he was just like, oh, you know, like when, you know how we prepare for our hundred year floods. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with? I know I'm getting back into meteorology here, but uh, I mean, just there's, there's, I don't know. Tell me, there's, there's, I'm trying to there's, bullshit my way through it, but I don't know. <laughs> there's cyclical water patterns, um, and you can predict uh, roughly every hundred every hundred years there will be a massive flood on most rivers. Hmm. I I don't know if that only applies to the you know, the the continent of North America or whatever. But I know that they predict them for the Colorado River and the um, uh, Rio Grande mm-hmm. and the Grand River. We just had our 100 years flood a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. So, huh. yeah. yeah, there's, uh, yeah. So it, it, he could have just been bullshitting. Like, it's probably one of those things where... You know, if you say this thing like, oh, if this thing happens, then blah, blah, blah. And then it happens and you're like, it suddenly you seem magical, but it was just, you know. Right. Bullshit. So, but it's just, it's such an interesting letter just because it, it is so eerily close to what happened. It so, gives me the goosebumps. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the curse. Ooh. So and that's, that's what you I know, it, it largely did play out. So speaking of historic curses, yes. do you, I'll take us home with one more. Okay. So this actually, remember how before I was like, I like the story of Thomas Busby because it has a clear first this, then this, and that's mm-hmm. the curse. So yeah. this one does not have that, but that's kind of important. Okay. So mm-hmm. this is the curse of King Casimir IV of Poland. Okay, I was like, who even the fuck is this? I have <laughs> you, no frame of reference. <laughs> well, you know, if we knew Polish history better, he's actually a pretty major player in Polish history. Okay. Uh, he was sorry, born Poland. in... Yeah, sorry, Poland. There's a lot of reasons why we don't know you well. <laughs> but anyway, so he was born in 1427. He became king of Poland, even though he was, I believe, the third son of the last king. So he wasn't supposed to inherit. But he became king when he was just 20 years old. And he mm-hmm. reigned for another 45 years, and it was a very successful time. For those of you who are playing the at-home game, you will know that he is a contemporary of King Henry VI in England. So we're talking oh. Hundred Years' War, War of the Roses, mm. things like that. Uh, and Poland was like, I'm going to stay out of that shit. You know what? Poland did not stay out of that shit. Uh, <gasps> oh, King, King Casimir hell. himself was actually awarded by Henry, I believe Henry VI, the Order of the Garter, mm, which is the mm-hmm. the highest award that you can be given. And so, uh, and it was only, 
you know, they only allow in 25 members of the Order of the Garter. So that so it's a very prestigious award. He was somehow involved, but he was a pretty brilliant king. Uh, he was handsome. He was tall. Uh, he had a great many military victories, all very important in the Middle Ages, uh, He inclu- which includes the capture of Prussia as Polish land. That's sort of the contested Germany up into Belgium area. Uh, so that's what used to be known as Prussia. Mm-hmm. He was during his during his time of king. Uh, there was also a big push for humanist progress and cultural progress. They reopened and enlarged the University of Krakow. He uh, allowed and worked with Philip. I'm sorry. Hang on. Filippo del Bonascori. Nope. I fucked hmm. that up. I'm gonna try that again. I, I okay. failed Italian twice. Filippo <laughs> de Buonacorsi. Filippo de Bonacorsi. Yeah. He was a monk uh, that you will you you may not have heard of him, but you'll know of his works. He sort of like pushed through the interests of the common people on behalf of the Roman Empire, and so he was kind of a cool philosopher. So the guy's life matters, but let's talk about his afterlife. Sure. <laughs> so he died in early June of 1492, and good year. <laughs> Uh, a very bad year, actually. I would actually argue it was a pretty fucking shitty year. Yeah, a <laughs> it lot was of per- people. <laughs> killed all. But that's our oh. American self-interest talking there. That's a downer. <laughs> so he himself died during a particularly hot June, and a, he was not at his home castle when he died. And so he he needed to be moved to uh, Vavil Castle. Is that in Krakow? It is, yes. Have you been there? I think i might have been in that castle that's super cool did you did you go into the um what's the word the churchy part of that castle i don't remember there's a chance well no i think we were allowed we i think we went in the castle but i don't think we were allowed to take pictures so that's why i don't remember it. okay so uh it is like the major castle in krakow and yes. of course i've never been off of this continent so i have not been anywhere Sorry, I'm being an asshole about my... <laughs> no, it's abroad. it's really, really cool. So he needed to be moved over the course of four days through an incredibly hot Polish summer at a time mm-hmm. when they didn't have the greatest preservation skills. So he oh, was kind of... Awful. Yeah. <laughs> he was kind of quickly thrown into a simple wooden coffin he was naked Mm. he was covered with a very expensive textile and then as time went on um from what i can gather they sort of realized how quickly he was going south just roasting right um Mm. dripping oh god (laughs) oh Oh, god so they quickly cover (gasps) him with calc and They resin seal his coffin. So, you know, it's a little more watertight. That's good. That's, yeah. I'm just imagining, like, it's on display somewhere fancy and you just see. Well, even before they could get it someplace fancy on display. Yeah, it was, it was dripping on the road. I mean, he was out in the sun for four days, basically. Jesus. Can you imagine? Oh, Oh, the smell. Yep. Okay. Okay. Mm. So, Mm. we're going to fast forward. Sorry if anyone's eating food. Yeah, I think they should know by now not to do that. (laughs) We're going to fast forward 500 years. It's now 1973. And at this point in time, Poland is completely socialist. And it's very hard for students and architects and science architects, sorry, archaeologists and scientists to get permission 
to dig and and do the sort of necessary work that they're trained to do. Mm-hmm. They were, however, helped. They wanted to investigate the tomb of King Casimir. And mm-hmm. so they appealed to the cardinal of the of the Catholic cathedral where he was. Uh, and maybe this name will be familiar to you. Cardinal Carol Wojtyl. <laughs> yeah, we're old friends. He would you you're gonna know his name though. He would later okay. be known as Pope John Paul II. Oh 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 oh. 1970s yeah. Polish cardinal. I figured you might All put right. it together. <laughs> that guy. Yeah, no, crack that guy. Loves it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. So he uh, pushed because he had so much power and influence. He was able to push through and allow these scientists and archaeologists to get in there with a view towards eventually repairing, uh, renovating, and. Uh, what's the word I'm trying to come up with? Restoring. Restoring. Thank you, Jen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, restoring. This has been thesaurus corner. <laughs> this has been. Kate is so bad at words. Yeah. Um, so early. they 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 get in. They opened it in 1973. Twelve scientists were present on hand to remove the tomb, crack through mm-hmm. the resin, and open the wooden coffin within. Mm-hmm. Within four days. Mm-mm. Four members of the people who, four members of the scientists who were present were dead. Mm-hmm. Wow. They died suddenly of stroke and of infection mm-hmm. that they couldn't figure out what these things were. Was it something in the box? <laughs> was it a curse? We don't know for sure. We no, do I know for sure. Like, oh, we do? Yeah. Okay. Um, so actually, this was not a curse. This is actually mm. um, a specific fungus that is apparently quite common at a lot of uh, historic and archaeological sites. If you are uh, prone to lung infection, for example, it is not advised that you go into the pyramids of Giza. Whoa. So there's this one particular fungus called Aspergillus flavius. It's a pathogenic <laughs> and saprophytic fungus, which means that it causes asthma, it causes all sorts of lung diseases, and it can cause stroke in people who have a, you know, hypertension and things like that. So what happened is that when they, it is very likely that the king may have died of something like this, mm. a, a fungus, an infection of his own. And what happened when he died and they had to move him away very quickly. They resin sealed his coffin. So they effectively made a biological bomb that went off 500 years later. In the end, 15 people would work with either his corpse or the opening of the tomb itself and the wood that was within. And think about it, it's a fungus. Funguses do well in the dark, cool, and damp. Oh my God. And in places where there's, so that the damp, the dampness of his body, mm-hmm. it's dark and it's cool and it's, it's effectively hermetically sealed. So mm-hmm. they had years for this fungus to get out of control and mutate and go kind of crazy so that when they finally opened it, there were 12 people who opened it, but 15 people who worked with the body total. Everybody mm-hmm. died except for <gasps> two people. And those two people for the rest of their lives had terrible breathing disorders and the inability oh. to uh, find balance. It caused inner ear problems. Oh, so what so I'm horrible. saying <laughs> is that not every curse is a curse. Okay. And sometimes there is a logical reason for things like the opening of King Tut's tomb. I'm sure when we talk okay. about that someday, 
we'll discuss it. But also, this is something that we need to be aware of. There's a lot of like dangerous things in the museum and archaeological field. So be aware of this story. (laughs) That's a word of warning for all you museum professionals out there. (laughs) Yep. Uh, And we know that we're not the only ones. So there you go. No, collections can be dangerous. They, you know what? Uh, We were once offered, I believe, a uh, beaver fur top hat. Mm-hmm. Do you Take know what's dangerous of... about fe- beaver for top hats? Yeah, mercury. Mercury. Uh, for mm-hmm. those of you who I'm, don't know I this... myself... Yeah. Okay. Oh, go ahead. No, go. I, right. I, I just acquired a, a top hat of my own, but it's made of silk, so it's not... Oh. It's not a little, little more Regency, getting out of that uh, American fur trading company business. Yes. Well, yes. in the old days, they used to take... Uh, during the during the fur trade, they would take beaver fur hats and they would uh, boil the furs in mercury, and that's what felted them together. They didn't know how bad mercury was for them. And if you remember, well, yeah, because they're shooting it into their penises for to cure syphilis, <laughs> right? <laughs> or putting it in their air and breathing it to cure syphilis. Uh, speaking yeah. of which, are you all caught up on Victoria? Oh no, I'm not. Oh, enjoy. That's going to come up. <laughs> Oh boy. So anyway, they do you remember uh, Lewis Carroll's novel Alice in Wonderland? Of course, the Mad and Hatter. You, the Mad Hatter. Lewis Carroll wrote that wrote that character because hatters were loopy. They were crazy because they were mm-hmm. inhaling mercury fumes all day. Yeah. So yeah, we gotta be, kind of be collection and gotta be, kind of be careful in collections. Yep. All right. So that's a fun fact. Uh, do you have a listener story for us? I sure do. Look at us moving so, things along. This one, yeah, right. An hour and uh, 20 something minutes and we're, you know, right on track. Um, That's right. <laughs> so <laughs> this story actually comes from, I believe, a friend of yours, uh, Lindsay H. Oh, hey girl. Hey. Yeah. I was supposed to, I th- I, I'm not sure if she was going to go to that woods party tonight, but I'm not going. Have fun. <laughs> Lindsay H and I were Rennies together. Oh, okay. And we still see each other uh, on the reg. So, yay, I love her. Yay. Well, uh, she starts out. She says, hey, Kate and Jen, I'm a college friend of Kate's and have been meaning to send you this experience of mine for a while. And I finally am. Hooray. Yay. Um, (laughs) uh, She says, I've always been like you guys, somewhere in between believing and not believing in ghosts and spirits. But strolling down this memory still freaks me out to this day. And I'm almost 30. It's one of the reasons I haven't sent this yet, but here we go. You're in for a long one. Buckle up, everyone. I can't wait. (laughs) My parents divorced when I was in middle school, around 12 or 13 years old, and my dad started renting a house in one of the suburban areas of my hometown. It was an older house, maybe built in the 30s or 40s, and the layout... Yeah, for all you non-Americans, a house built in the 30s and 40s is old. Yep. (laughs) That's true. Uh, Yeah. And the layout always creeped me out a bit. Every room was very closed off from the others, so it added an unsettling feeling when you were there not being able to see room to room. The bedrooms were on the second floor, and just like the rest of the house, laid out a little odd. The stairs led to the middle of a half-circle open hallway with the bathroom, my sister, and my room, important for later, my my, my dad's office, then my dad's room. Okay. From left to right. Yeah. Okay. You got a picture in your head? Okay. Lindsay's an artist and it will show up. Oh, okay. Um, so now my sister and I get along okay. She's three and a half years younger than me. So for a 12 to 13 year old and an eight to nine year old, 
to voluntarily share a room and have bunk beds. Girl, that was my situation, but it was not voluntary. <laughs> um, <laughs> but being voluntarily, it was a little strange. I even remember my dad insisting that I take the other bedroom that turned into his office for my own, and I kept saying no, but never had a reason why. My parents had joint custody and still got along very well, so we spent half our time at our dad's. I remember immediately my sister and I fought over who got the top bunk. That changes later in life, and then you want the bottom bunk. Um. See, I was ahead of that game. I always knew I wanted the bottom bunk. Climbing. Oh, I wanted, ugh, I exhausting. Wanted, I, had the, I had the top bunk growing up, and yeah. I wanted it. But, yeah, it's annoying. I um, also was, um, I'm, a, I'm a roller. I always have mm. been. Like, I'll roll right out of bed. <laughs> so I knew that the top bunk was not for me. No, yeah. I realized that the top bunk sucks because when Laura wanted to go to sleep and I wanted to stay up late and read, uh, she would just unplug my uh, reading lamp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fun. Uh, yep. And I tried to do that to her one time and she just plugged it back in because the outlet was in within reach. <laughs> so... Yep, yep, you have no power up there. You guys are getting an inside peek at our relationship. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, so where were we? Top bunk. Um, After a couple of days, we decided to switch every night so we could both enjoy it. That is a level of sisterly collaboration and love that I did not know as a child (laughs) and still would not know to this day. Nope, there's Uh, no way. What kind of kind soul are you? Anyway, now our bunk beds had full mattresses on the bottom and a twin on top. Ooh, that's fancy. Uh, The reason this is important is because we would actually sleep together on more creepy and sad nights on the bottom bunk. Oh, that's cute. However, we always hung towels and blankets like curtains around the bottom bunk so we could never see out. Years later, after we moved out of that house, I now realize why. <laughs> Once we moved from that house, my dad told my sister and I that the house was definitely haunted, but he didn't want to scare us and never have us come back. So he waited until we were out of the place to tell us. That's wonderful. I think a part of me suspected, but thought I sounded crazy. My sister said she always knew. She's always been crazy perceptive, so maybe. Anyway, back to the creepy stuff. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, our bedroom door faced the bathroom door so when we would leave our door cracked at night we could see the bathroom light i sure. vividly remember yeah this is all this all makes sense um i vividly remember the first month of living there sleeping on the bottom bunk seeing a full black shadow about my dad's size walk into the lit bathroom and shut the door a few minutes later the door would open light on but I never saw him walk back out and never remembered hearing the toilet flush. My dad is a bit of an insomniac, so him getting up at odd hours wasn't out of the ordinary, and I chalked it up to me being too tired or just missing his shadow to rationalize things. Almost immediately, my sister and I started hanging the blankets and towels. We thought of it as camping, but on the top bunk, I would still see that same shadow about once a month go into the bathroom and not come back out. Holy fucking shit. <sighs> if my mom ever needed someone to watch our family dog, Maddie, my dad always insisted. He loved her a lot and would always take a chance to have her at the house. Whenever we watched her at night, she always, always slept on the top step in the hallway facing down the stairs. No treat or bed or offer for her to sleep in our bed would budge her. 
and she w- wouldn't move until both my sister and I were awake. Aww. Oh, we do so not sweet. deserve dogs. Yeah. And that is also very telling. Yes. <laughs> that the dog would not go further. Now, it's obvious those things were less than normal, but this last part just freaked me the fuck out when my dad told us. His office, you know, the room I refused to take, not, not only would the temperature never get above 52 degrees and have weird drafts when my dad would work in there at night, uh, that's, yeah, I would not take a room that cold. Um, Pass. Yeah. Uh, his pens would spin around on their sides like a pinwheel papers would move due to the drafts and since that's where the home computer lived the computer would always randomly turn off maybe i used that computer once or twice in the year living there i always avoided that room like the plague now i realize it was my spidey senses telling me fuck that room right (laughs) fuck that room (laughs) come to find out when my dad would get up in the middle of the night he would catch that same fucking shadow once in a while but it would (gasps) Still be groggy and thought it was one of us going to the bathroom. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Holy shit. fucking shit. Woo! This doesn't even begin to cover the creepy basement that house had. Apparently, a couple of dogs died down there that belonged to the previous renter, and the whole windowless basement was painted black with rickety, half-finished stairs leading down. What uh, the uh, fuck? Uh, uh. Needless to say, we never went down there. However, before moving out of our family, before moving out, our family cat curled up and died down there as well. Oh, no. He, he was 16, but still added the creep factor. Like, yeah, that is that is a good long life for a cat, but like the, that location. Right. I need to know. Mm. Poor kitten. Poor cat. Mm. She goes on to say, I had no love loss for moving out of that creepy house. My dad is now in a different house, the one we picked after the haunted rental house, actually. And he says the house is haunted, too. And again, waited till I was in college and out of the house to tell me. <laughs> He's one of those people that believes aliens are really out there and that ghosts are, and spirits are, too. But his reactions are, eh, I know what I saw. No biggie. I don't bother. It, it doesn't bother me. Then why freak out? <laughs> My sister is very similar. <laughs> it's very chill it's um, very chill i've never been yeah. that kind of chill in my life me neither i on the other hand am very much like kate where i initially flip out and say kill it with fire but eventually <laughs> get to a don't touch me don't move anything don't communicate with me i don't want to see you just leave me alone and i'll leave you alone got it state of right. mind <laughs> exactly <laughs> darling exactly <laughs> She says, I hope you enjoyed this novel of an experience and have many successful episodes ahead. Love you guys. Lindsay H. Ugh. Love her. Girl Sam. Yeah. Oh, it was sent on Halloween. Happy Halloween. Oh, shit. We're so late. Yeah, I know. Happy Halloween, darling. But we're working our way through the back. We are. We're getting there. Good for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's that's all we have for today. Um, yeah, if you guys want to add to our backlog... How should yeah. they get a hold of us? They should. You should email us your stories at thispodcastishaunted at gmail.com. And if you want a more immediate means of communication, uh, we, we are on Twitter, haunted underscore pod. And we are on Facebook, this podcast is haunted. Instagram is this podcast is haunted. And if you want to join our super special exclusive, it's not exclusive at all, uh, Facebook group, uh, we are, it's, this podcast is haunted discussion group and just you know 
requests and we'll add you and it's fun it's a good place Pro- to hang out provided you seem cool and you didn't like just make up your facebook like if you your facebook is a couple oh, of days old well, we're, yeah. we're not going to add you because we feel like you're creepy so to all of you robots out there don't even try it not today bitch <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, you guys, uh, as always, are the best. Jen, uh, happy friendiversary again, and I'll yeah. talk to you soon. Yeah. Stay spooky, motherfuckers. Yeah, for real. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Hey everybody, this is Kate. I'm pleased to remind y'all again that This Podcast is Haunted is sponsored by Studio. These headphones have everything. They are sleek, they are stylish, they are Instagrammable, and most importantly, they are uncompromising on sound quality. They do ship worldwide from www.studio.com. That's S-U-D-I-O.com. Tell them we sent you, save 15%. Use the promotional code HAUNTED, H-A-U-N-T-E-D, at checkout.